0: The special apps update conference is back and it runs from March 25th to March 29th and it's completely free to sign up. The conference focuses on engaging in relevant technology. Six
1: courses will highlight how to use apps to support literacy, speech and language skills, and of course, having fun. To learn from amazing presenters like Mo Booty, recent speaker at ATIA, Amanda Schomburg, Panda Speech, and our very own
0: Rachel Madel. Hey, that's you. That is me. Go to specialappsupdate.com to register and use the following code XEDSAU19 to get all the courses for free. See you there. Welcome to Talking with Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, And today I'm so excited because I'm joined by two bougays. I'm here with Chris, as always, but I'm here with his wife, Melissa. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey Rachel, how are you? I am so good. I am so excited that you're here, Melissa.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to like finally see your face like real life, not Marco Polo.
0: I love I love how we say this is real life. Like we're still like through a video screen, but it feels more real life, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Because I don't have to answer you and you're you're going to answer me back.
0: <laughs> I know. Speaking of our Marco Polos, actually, the last one you asked was uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. And yes. I have been racking my brain trying to figure out what it is. And you know what popped into my head? Jurassic right. Park. I love Jurassic Park. I just feel like I could watch Glad it. Clever
1: girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's you definitely know, one might-
2: of them. That is our son, one of our sons
0: as well. He loves Jurassic Park. I know, I just can't get enough of it. I mean, I've watched the other ones, but it's the original that really like has my heart. It's that T-Rex. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, so people listening might be going, wait, um, what's a Marco Polo? Can you explain what Marco Polo is?
0: Um, yes, it's a video chat. So it's an app you can download and it's kind of like FaceTime, but it's not a true conversation because you're not live with someone. Um, you can send video messages back and forth and then respond to those video messages. You can watch live while somebody is video messaging you. Um, you also can create groups and all these things. So we, we've we been Marco Poloing, all of us, all three of us.
2: <laughs> yeah. I love it. So we have a group of three and then Rachel and I have our own. Yeah, and then we have our own separate and Rachel have their own and, and it's awesome because I was and, finding you know, I have our own. I, and we have our own and our family has our own but I was um showing my vice uh, my assistant principal the other day because I thought it was a cool app to use because I like how it archives all the conversations so you can go back so if you guys are planning for the podcast or we were planning you know for our trip to Hawaii then we can go back and check each little bit to see, oh, was it here that she said that I needed to bring my sunscreen? Was it here that, you know
0: what I mean? <laughs> just, so, to clear,
1: just to be clear, just be clear. are you saying that you and I are going to Hawaii or you and Rachel are going to Hawaii? We already
0: went. <laughs> <laughs> we, already went.
2: we already went last week, remember? <laughs> and that was cool too because that is awesome that you got to document your entire trip And then we got to see it and share with you, and then we documented our snowstorm with you, which I knew you were super jealous about while you were in Hawaii, showing us lava tubes. It's right. Yeah, I was showing you like my snow tubes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Marco Polo is an amazing tool. Um, I actually love using it for speaking with other clinicians. So there's a lot of speech therapists that I've, um, you know, connected with in LA, a lot of occupational therapists, and it's a really great way to just quickly talk to somebody. So if you have a referral or something like that, of course you have to to recruit people to get on Marco Polo, but it's just, I love it. I'm really, really excited about it. I use it all the time and it feels like, you know, someone like Melissa, I feel like we're best friends. Yeah. And that's because of Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sure, Melissa, I feel like we're best friends.
2: (laughs) I think that's
0: because of 20 years, Chris. (laughs) All right. So, Melissa, you are here because we're talking about IEPs today. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Obviously, we know you're you're Chris's wife, um, but what do you do in the special needs world? And um, I'm just really excited to have you on and uh, have your experience and ask you a ton of questions.
2: Awesome. So, well... I started special ed mm, 15 years ago um, because I had I I was actually a general ed when I first started and I had the privilege of being chosen to have one of the um, few inclusion classrooms in my school at the time, and I at the end of that year I was just like I want to be her I want to be a special educator, um, so that's how my whole career started was I was just totally motivated and inspired by this um, inclusion and special educator that I taught with. She was amazing. So I went and got my master's in it. And then I've just been in the special ed world, um, whether it be team taught, teacher in multiple different, you know, subjects or whatnot. But currently I'm the dean of special ed over at my high school. So I started there as a case manager. um, And now I am the dean of Special education. So basically, what I do is I run IEPs, I run the child study process, um, eligibilities um, to find students that are eligible for special education, and work with my case managers on making sure that everything is compliant. Goals are you know bridging those needs, and it's a lot of fun. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I like yeah. it a lot.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're a perfect person to have on today because you sit in a lot of IEP meetings, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. do. So so let's dive right in. What, what are some strategies that you can use if you're a teacher, you know, who's listening or SLP who's listening to make more successful IEP meetings? What are some strategies that you can start implementing to have more successful outcomes when you're in the middle of an IEP meeting?
2: Okay, so my first thing I'm going to say is, because I love to offer resources, is I read a book called A Guide to Collaboration for IEP Teams, and it's by Nicholas R.M. Martin. Perfect. But um, that has been a really great guide, and actually my district provided it to all the deans this year, and it's like our book study. So even if I wasn't reading that book, it makes you feel like, yeah, what I'm doing is great, but it gives you more help. But I'm going to just say my first and foremost is communication. You know, that is the first and foremost thing that you need in an IEP. You need communication because you are a team, right? And so we all know the basic team, you know, having that general ed, the designee, the special educator, the parent. And in high school from, or in our district from 7th to um, 12th grade as the student. And I think sometimes that that team needs to just make sure that they're open and transparent with each other. And so that's the biggest thing I'm going to say would make a successful meeting the other thing is making sure that that communication because we all are in the school together and we're running around and we're getting it together and we're working on goals but making sure the parent is in on that so phone calls having pre-meetings talking about the agenda of what everybody's input is because There is an apparent input section on that IEP for a reason. Um, If they bring up a concern, you wanna make sure that it's addressed. You wanna make sure that they're heard. As far as communication as well, you wanna make sure that you're speaking in a language that everyone can understand. Sometimes we get lost in our jargon And and what we're saying and all that in education, because it's just natural for all of us. But it's not natural for a parent who's coming in. So just making sure that that's open. The other thing is that I've been finding a lot of success with this year is creating an agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, It's you walk in, you're setting the tone because you're the leader. As I mean, I am, I'm the designee, so I'm kind of the leader of the team um, and just making sure everything's run smoothly and on time. And so just having that agenda and setting it out up front and letting the parent know, you know, as we go through this piece by piece, if you have questions, ask them, we'll stop, we'll answer, then we'll take the next section. So, yeah.
1: when you were talking about communication, Mm -hmm as you're just listening to you talk about it, that it's sort of like a marriage, you know, is that you and I, you know, I think we, we communicate well together and we make that sort of a, uh, an important part of our life as, as family and as a husband wife team. And it seems to me like an IEP team is a, is a temporary marriage, you know, that yeah. For a number of years, in some cases, and uh, that communication has to be at the forefront of that because poor communication leads to people having different perspectives, different uh, expectations,
2: and assumptions, uh, Chris. People make assumptions, assumptions, right? (laughs) <laughs> and so sometimes what I've found over the years, and and I'll just say I, I have an incredible mentor that Chris has known for years as well and actually told me, if you're going to learn special ed from someone, this is the person to learn it from. And so, you know, when I walk into an IEP that's a little bit more um, contentious, I'm usually finding that it is that breakdown. And so that's a great analogy, Chris, because for four years, we're going to be together with uh, in high school. You know, you're together with that student and that family for four years, and you to build that necessary bridge together. Especially if maybe there has been a breakdown along the way, and so there might be a, a moment of repair as well.
1: Well, especially at the high school level, because it could even be more than four years, right? I mean, in some cases, right? It could be yes, six to eight years, and. Yes. Um, and, and sometimes parents come in, especially at the high school level, and correct me if I'm wrong, because they've already had a previous experience at the middle school and the elementary school level. And so sometimes there can be a, a thought that the entire school district is um, a certain way rather than looking at the individuals around the table. And so It's up to us as the educators to kind of show them and have build that trust, which, again, can only happen. If you're if you're being open and honest.
0: Melissa, the other thing I love that you said is you're talking about all these strategies to build and set expectations. I think that like there's nothing that a parent Once more than to know what to expect. These meetings are really scary, I think, a lot of times for parents. Mm -hmm. Um, they've had maybe bad experiences in the past. And so if you are doing a pre-meeting with them, for example, giving them a phone call before the meeting to talk through, like, here's what we're gonna talk about, and you know, here's what you can expect. Um, I think that's really, really important. And I think as speech language pathologists, we can do the same thing. We Mm -hmm. can touch base with parents before the meeting, um, talk about the progress that we've seen or the progress Maybe that we want to see, um, you know, because I think that everybody likes to know what to expect. And so, if you can go into a meeting and already feel like, okay, we've all kind of had our side conversations or separate conversations, um, you know, I feel okay about what's going to happen, because I think that there's always this anticipation, like, what are they going to say at the meeting? You know, is it going to be something we like or not like? Um, so, I think that it's really important for us to make sure that we're we're communicating before the meeting. I think that's yeah. kind of what I'm hearing.
2: And the other thing is too, and Rachel, you just brought this up and I'm going to say it, and I know it seems common sense, but sometimes side conversations happen in a meeting and it's just, it comes off like there's something else going on in the meeting. So just making sure that everyone is attentive and there for one reason. And, And I always say to the kids when they come, I'm like, thank you so much for coming because you're the reason we're here. If you weren't here, this would never happen. So I always, I always thank them for being there because we have to remember, it's not just about the parent, but those kids, they're nervous, you know? I mean, some of these kids are coming into their first IEPs ever, um, especially in ninth grade. I've had a, a couple this year that were just too nervous to do it. And so this was a big deal for them. So making them heard as well and their needs and their wants, and sometimes that's done. Well, I know that's a lot of the time done prior to with their case managers. And so talking about, you know, I I never really used my small group, but I just didn't know how to tell, you know, and and they come in with their own data and their own ideas because they're growing. And so allowing them to be heard is is essential. Um, And a lot of the time they've said this to their parent, but Their parent has been the one communicating, and it's just so powerful to hear it out of the student's mouths as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that when you're working, especially with older children, you Mm -hmm. know, at the even late middle school and high school especially, you have to include them in the conversation. So I love the idea of having them at the meeting. I was just at a meeting. It was not an IEP meeting, but it was a group meeting at a child's school. Um, This is a 17-year-old. And it's really important to not talk about A child, um, include them in the conversation because and this this specific you know child that I'm thinking of is using a device. Um, You know he has limited language skills, but is very aware of what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing that I hate more than when we're just talking about a child, and this could even be a small child too. You know I don't think it's appropriate or respectful to talk about children. Um, You know I include them in the conversation. You know what I'm seeing with so and so is these kinds of things. What do you think? Um, And really posing those. to the student, because I think it's just really important to make them feel like we're not talking, this isn't just talking about you, right? This is talking with you. Right, exactly. And I think, I think even
2: in elementary, you know, I I never want to sell any level of student short, you know, they all have something to say. And sometimes it can be, you know, when they're little, you might have to dig a little bit deeper to get what they mean, but they make it known what they want. And so really being that case manager and hearing them by what they're showing you, by what they're doing, or even if they do have the language to say it, but taking that data and bringing it back and saying, okay, you know, I know it's different here than it is at home, but here's what we're seeing. Um, Here's what he's showing us. And so just having that data available to you as well, um, really helps, you know, define and uh, who that student is in school because one of the best things that was ever said to me is, you don't go home with that kid, so you don't walk in their shoes. So you walk into that IEP meeting being respectful. You're here for them at school, just like their parents aren't walking every day with them in school. You're not walking at home. You don't know what those parents go through at night. So just being very respectful of what they're seeing as well.
0: And so kind of going off of that, sometimes there's disagreements, right? And that's what like, Mm -hmm. that's the hard part of these IEP meetings is parents are disagreeing with what school's seeing, schools disagreeing with what, you know, parents are saying is happening at home. How do you handle a room full of people who might be at odds with each other? Are there any like tricks of the trade or strategies? I mean, obviously communication is important, but we know when people are upset, they're not the best communicators.
2: Right. And so I'm going to go back to Chris saying the marriage thing, right? It's really taking time to sit with each other. And I know um, I know that when you walk into a meeting and there's an advocate or, or somebody else joining, sometimes if the conversation prior to the meeting maybe has gone um, a little bit more contentious, You want to make sure that you're walking in calm and ready to hear and listen and sometimes setting those expectations at the beginning, the the norms for the meeting and just saying, okay, so here's where we're all at, um, reminding them that we're here for the student, making sure you're calm and showing that you're ready to listen and having that agenda of what you would like to get through making sure that you've you know incorporated what the parent has said to you prior as well as their concerns or needs and again having that language available not you did blah 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 but making sure that you're saying i'm hearing that you're frustrated you know where do you feel like this will help your child. Ask those questions. Ask them why they feel that way and their needs. You know, they may want push in SLP every single block, and then you can present to them what you're seeing there at school. Maybe it's different than what they're seeing at home. So if you both take the time to talk to one another and present each other's data, essentially, maybe you both can come to a consensus of of what you're seeing.
0: The other thing that I think is really important to remember is that you can pose something, and you can always remind parents it's short term. If this is not working, we can have another IEP meeting. I think that one of the biggest things is like, oh my gosh, like I don't want this. No, it's like okay, let's try this. If it's not working, we'll revisit it.
2: And that's awesome. This is this is why we're best friends because (laughs) (laughs) no, because honestly, I'm. That's another big thing I say in my meetings. This is fluid. This is a fluid. A document. This is not set in stone. At any point, we can come back if we are seeing the data is not working or, you know, the data is showing this is not working. This is not the direction or the data may show us there is a different direction we need to go in. We always can get back together. That's the beauty of an amendment. Um, we're not locked in. So I think that also allows people to realize that we're willing to work. You know, um, mm-hmm. if you're willing to come to this table, I'm willing to come to this table, you know, and if we have to come together five times to make sure this kid's getting what he needs, then that's what we do. You know, Mm -hmm. that it's about the kid. Um, But I think another essential is paying attention to those needs because those needs really build that bridge over to what you're planning for this child, right? The goals and the accommodations and unless, you know, if, if they didn't have needs, they wouldn't have this. So just making sure we pay really close
0: attention to those. Absolutely. Chris, do you want to talk a little bit about our interview today? I mean, I could talk with Melissa for literally hours, um, <laughs> but I know our dear listeners probably want to listen to the interview. Um, so who who did you have the pleasure of interviewing this, for this week's episode?
2: So this, go ahead, Melissa, please. Oh my gosh, well, he interviewed Mo Booty. And Mo Booty, first of all, is a wonderful human being. And she's very talented. Uh, In in her work, um, she works very closely with special ed and especially in autism, but another thing about Mo Booty that you don't know is that she has the best shoe collection I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) um, my, My interest is peaked. (laughs) When I say, I mean, it's amazing. And I've actually walked in her shoes. I will say I've legitimately walked in her shoes that she let me borrow. No, but she is a wonderful advocate for the autism community and just really great at what she does. And that's
1: exactly what the interview is all about. As I uh, talked to her about, she reviews many, many IEPs and has sat on many IEPs. So uh, we asked her a bunch of questions about um, how to run great IEPs and different strategies you'd have for preparing for IEPs. Many times, when you were mentioning, when you were, when you were talking here just a few minutes ago, Melissa, I was thinking, oh, Mo has a great strategy for that. Oh, Mo has. <laughs> and I wanted to jump in with them. And I was like, no, they're going to hear him in a second in the interview. Sadly, we don't get into her shoe collection during the interview. Oh. Uh, next a, next time. Different podcast, maybe. We'll do that. <laughs> it's a great interview. I, I, I can't wait for the listeners to have uh, experience
0: it. If you guys haven't already, please join us on Facebook. You can search Talking With Tech and join our Facebook group. There's lots of amazing things that go on in the Facebook group. We're also revealing soon our special topic. We're going to go live on March 31st at 8 Eastern Standard Time, 5 o'clock Pacific Time. Um, so you don't want to miss it, and it's going to be all in our Facebook group. Um, so without further ado, let's head into Chris's interview with Mo do you have an idea for a product or book or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations well how do you get started and what if you don't have any business experience at all well i have some great news for you I'm mei Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people.
1: Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here today with Mo Booty, the famous Mo Booty. How are you doing, Mo? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. So Mo, I guess uh, just a little bit of background about you is that you and I have actually presented together once, was at Closing the Gap. Tell us about that.
3: Oh my gosh, last year was so fun. So I usually do this um, app, kind of app cloud technology Presentation with a dear friend of mine, Dan Hurlihy, and he couldn't make it. And I didn't want to disappoint. So I actually contacted you, Chris, and then Matt Press. And I had them both call me on my cell phone, which would be totally inappropriate in a presentation. And um, then pretended like they just randomly called me to share some awesome piece of technology or awesome app or whatever. And then uh, we already had Zoom links already prepared and zoomed them right in. So even though they didn't get to attend this com- that conference that year, they both attended because they both presented um, some, some information and, and the audience absolutely loved it.
1: Yeah, it was super fun. I lo- it was so much fun. So so people who don't know you, Mo, I'm, I'm jumping right in here like everybody knows you, but there could be people listening that don't know who Mo Booty is. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do?
3: Sure, yes. I've been in the field of disabilities for 29 years. Um, So I was a special education teacher, um, which I loved doing for many years. Then I became an autism itinerant, and then I became the director of autism and intellectual disabilities for Chicago public schools. So it's the third largest school district in the nation, and I will always remember this number. It's like ingrained in my head, because when I left, I was overseeing 6,111 students. Um, Great job, awesome job, but sometimes I felt I could help more people outside of a big district than I could on the inside. So it's four years ago I left and I started my own company and the cool thing about this is I get, have like four different hats I can wear. So I can either, I do a lot of consulting with school districts on IEP compliance, um, teacher training, and then a lot of like administrative support. And then um, then my other hat is student advocacy. So parents will hire me to help support them at an IEP meeting. My third one is just presenting internationally. Um, love to present. And then the fourth one is expert witness for um, the usually a lawyer will hire me, but sometimes the parents do too for a due process case. So those are kind of the four hats that I get to wear, which is. So awesome because everyone knows that you can wear the same hat every day. What if it just outfit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. So, do you find that there's one that you do more frequently than the other, or are they sort of equal hats?
3: Um, the expert witness is the um, least frequent. Thank God that means not everyone's suing districts. But I think the other ones are about equal. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and so part of that job since
1: you said the school districts hire you but then also you'll be an advocate so, so families hire you and some when you're doing those particular jobs uh, it probably means that you interact a lot with IEPs right I mean, you probably read a lot oh, of IEPs yeah. uh, yep. do, do the school districts sometimes have you review IEPs
3: oh yes. So one particular school district in Illinois right now, um, just last week, I reviewed 175 IEPs. Um, I just love it. I, I, the, the joke is that the, I'm the IEP police <laughs> um, because it's such an important Valuable document when done correct. So there you go, done
1: correctly, and that kind of brings me to to this question, which is, what kind of tips would you have for people when they're trying to draft an IEP, and so it's done correctly. So it's so it's awesome. So it's
3: something that yeah, you know that that it's useful for people. So my very first tip I always tell people is write the IEP as if the student is moving tomorrow, and the reason why I say that is because you might know what you're thinking or saying or why you're thinking or saying it. But if the child's moving tomorrow, I want to make sure that teacher and that team knows exactly what it is that we are trying to convey with this document. So that's like my first thing I love to tell um, people. And the other thing is present levels. The present levels are so important. They should really drive the whole IEP. So how do the present levels you know, thrive um, goals and services. So when I say those things, I mean, I want to know exactly what are the areas of the deficit, right? What are the areas of strength? How does this student learn? And then all those things should have a clear connection to accommodations, goals, and services. And when I'm thinking about a legally sound IEP, that's kind of the place to start. Because when you do, if you ever have litigation That's like the low-hanging fruit for for lawyers. They'll say, well, clearly that does not match the present levels of performance. So I I sometimes give staff a, a little trick. I cut an IEP in half and I say, you guys go over here with this half and you guys take just the goals and just the services. And then I have you start, the one side, start reading the present levels. And then I'll have them stop and then I'll say, okay, where was that addressed? who can tell me where that's addressed? Is there an accommodation to meet that? Is there a goal to meet that or match that or help that, support that, or is there a service? And when we did that activity, it really opened the eyes of people to say, wow, there's a lot of things that we indicated in present levels of areas of of difficulty and deficits, and we were not um, addressing them in the rest of the area.
1: Oh, that is such an awesome activity. People could go and use that right now, totally do that. I could see something similar where you could take a number of IEPs, uh, take out the students' names, split them just like you described, yeah. and then play like play a matching game. you know can yeah. you match them? Yeah. And if you can't, then what's the yeah. problem there?
3: <laughs> yeah, I have another game I'll share later um, <laughs> that I do with IEPs. Um, but that to me, those things, and then my, my last really big like here's the when you're drafting an IEP. Remember that a parent might be reading, well, is reading it, and other people that may not be sitting um, in your specific profession. So um, like a speech path, if I'm reading a speech path stuff, I want to be able to understand it. If a parent is reading it, I want to be able to understand it. So just remember when you're drafting this document that it's very user-friendly for someone with different, you know, backgrounds and information. So um, even something as simple as this, I often see test scores like, oh, you get a 296 on the IMAP. What does that mean? So first of all, what does the IMAP test? What is it testing? What does that score mean? And even what does that mean compared to his non-disabled same grade peers? Because that then that draws that picture. Then I say, okay, I know why this information is valuable. Now it it has meaning assigned to it. Um, And then sometimes we use some evidence-based strategy terms and um, we think everyone knows them and we don't all often know that, right? So just make sure it's very, um, everything is explained and robust enough, whether it's the new school, because remember they're quote unquote moving tomorrow, or whether it's just the family, uh, the neighbor, whoever it is, that might be reading this. Awesome.
1: Oh, awesome. awesome advice. <laughs> totally awesome advice. I mean, um... <laughs> So many people could, could benefit from just doing what you said right there as far as uh, thinking about the next, where the person will be going. You, you And you might be thinking, because I hear this a lot, well, they're not going anywhere, they're not moving, but you don't know that. You don't know that somebody's not moving. People's situations change all the time.
3: So yep, definitely. Uh,
1: So what are some, so those are some good advice to make an, an IEP awesome. Uh, again, having reviewed lots of IEPs, what do you think are some common mistakes or, you know, oh my gosh, gotchas, yeah. you know, uh, some things that you see you hope people would avoid.
3: Yeah, I think one of my biggest areas are goals that are not measurable, goals that are not specific, and goals that would not pass the stranger test. And this is the other little activity I love to do with staff. I love to have somebody read a goal. And then I want someone to perform what they think that mastery looks like. And you would be surprised where they go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Yeah, well, that's what you wrote. Or that's what I interpreted what you wrote because you wrote it to bay. So, you know, very uh, measurable, meaningful, specific. I, I like the SMART goal, um, Ackerman. I know that um, some people think just putting a percentile in a goal makes it measurable. You know, they're like, oh, sorry, you're right, it's not measurable at 80%. And I'm like that doesn't help make it measurable. So that probably is literally one of the biggest pitfalls ever. And then how can you track progress? How can you progress monitor when the goal is not truly measurable? Um, that's probably a, one of my biggest things. Another one, which would be just blend in perfectly for this conversation, is that assistive technology is actually not being considered for access and progress in academics. So they checked the box <laughs> that they considered it, but who considered it, who had the expertise to consider it wasn't an actual about. not saying it has to be an about, but but if you have no one at the table who, knows much about assistive tech. How is that a true, robust consideration of assistive technology? So, so I do find that as a, as a missing kind of part of an IP. And then this is kind of a, a trick I tell parents, but I'm going to tell staff as well, is there is a difference between the word required versus benefit. So fake free and appropriate public education, is all about required. People use the language benefit all the time. Well, the child would benefit from a one-on-one assistant. Well, I don't know. I know I would benefit from a one-on-one assistant. But do I require a one-on-one assistant? Well, Okay, I might. I'm so busy. But but does the child require one-on-one assistant to access their academic environment and curriculum and make progress? So it could even help staff if they are really wanting some kind of assistive technology for a child. And they're like, well, I know he'll benefit from it. But if you can somehow figure out the data to support or the um, assessment data, the observational data, whatever it is to support, you know, you know what? He actually requires it. He requires it to be able to read grade level text or he requires it to be able to write three paragraphs that his age appropriate or grade appropriate peers are doing. So I always say to be careful with that language. So the other thing is about the deficits in the present levels and just making sure we're addressing them. And when I say that, that doesn't mean, oh, I said he has a deficit in Reading comprehension, well, there sure should be a goal for that, but, but I'm not saying that every deficit that's outlined has to outcome minutes or a goal, but there should be something to address it, whether it's an accommodation, a modification you know, whatever it is. So those, I think those are my biggest pitfalls.
1: So when you talk about the goals that, that when you said, you know, people often write goals and they're not measurable. Mm. Uh, Another common thing I think I see is people writing goals, but they've tried to put too much in. So it's also not measurable. Uh, Maybe they are trying to address too much with one goal. Yes, they're measuring like six different things in
3: this one goal, as opposed to keeping it specific. I think people are afraid of having too many goals, but I say, I, I go, that was like four goals in one. So by the way it's written, they actually have to do all of those, every one of those to master that. And they're all so different. And I think, yes, I do see that. I think people are so afraid. But then this IEP will be 23 pages. And I'm like, really, that's it? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <I> mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah. This, this podcast
1: is all about AAC. And some some of those goals you might see is student will request and comment and uh, reject. And it's like, well, that's a bunch of pragmatic functions all in one goal. Uh, How are we measuring each one of those? So a tip that I have for some people is to try and make a Google form where you have to measure the data that way. I've tried to do that in the past and that has been kind of the outcome has been like, well, geez, when we try to make a Google form, it's really hard to measure it because I'm trying to measure too much stuff all at once. It helps them write better goals when they do that. Yeah. So cool. Okay, great, great advice, Mo. Thank you so much. All right, so we have the the, the good advice about what makes a good IEP. We have kind of pitfalls to things to stay away from. But what about the actual IEP meeting itself? People come to the table. What strategies do you have for everyone to kind of walk away where it feels, and and not just feels, but it actually was a collaborative experience uh, that results in like a positive plan that we're actually going to do this stuff to help the student.
3: Um, That is a great question. And I have a unique experience that really helped me to really learn how to make this more collaborative. So when I was director of autism and intellectual disabilities for Chicago public schools, if I were being called in for an IEP meeting, something went wrong, right? I'm coming in for the smackdown. (laughs) so I came in kind of with my chest puffed out and a little puffy and just telling people what to do and um it didn't occur to me until after I left the district and I became an advocate at a school that I had been called to many many times and here I sat in this IEP meeting and It was awesome, and I'll tell you a little bit about this in a minute, but at the end, the case manager asked me to stick around. He needed to talk to me, and I was all nervous, and he says, oh my gosh, I am so glad you were here. We were scared for nights. I'm like, why? And he said, well, because you're always so mean, and you used to just tell us what to do, and we felt it was dictating, and we were a team, and you came in today. And it was just this collaboration. And I thought, man, I came in today without the power, but the same knowledge. So what did I do differently? How did I change that? And what I realized was a lot of actively listening to everybody, because that really showed that everybody's input was important. I also asked questions if I didn't understand myself. And then... I would validate other people's input like that's a great point you know where else we can add that in the IEP that would be great if we put that in functional performance so it really validated their input and even gave it like another place to live and um, what's also really helpful is I encourage teams to send home a draft IEP whenever possible or at least a draft of some of it because parents um, It takes maybe longer to process what all of this stuff is and if they could have kind of reviewed it first. So in this case, the parent and I reviewed the IEP the night before. So we went through it and we talked about it and I kind of helped filter out some of her questions ahead of time. So then when we walked in, she wasn't nervous. I had no power. (laughs) So we came in as, all right, this is great. We got the draft. We know we're prepared and we really just... It was like a lot of validating people's input, and then um, asking questions. And um, it was actually the first year where we included um, her son as well, which was super, super exciting and enlightening for the team. So I think all those things together really helped. That no one person is coming in as like the power person. That you're all coming in as equal members of the team, and just validating each other and, and finding the multiple places in the IEP that maybe their information can live. Because sometimes it is more than just, oh, that's where the speech write their, their part. But you know what? That also has to do with behavior. And that also has to do with, yeah, let's put it here too. And really working as a team that way and always listening to the parent and kind of doing check-ins with them. Sometimes we get to like page 20 and we're like, oh, geez. <laughs> Their eyes are glazed over. So, doing check-ins after. you Any questions on that section? Any input on that section? Any comments on that? I think that was a lot of information.
1: <laughs> I, I know. I know totally what you mean too. It sometimes it feels like when you're reviewing an IEP document, it can feel like a used car salesman. Like just sign here, and this is what you're doing. Right. We're going do, to do. through this in thirty minutes. Him. Yes, exactly. We're you're, you're buying a house here, you know. <laughs> Uh, and so I think it's a good advice to kind of check in. I think it's also great advice to be the active listener. So often I find that sometimes people go into IEP meetings with this idea that I'm going to defend my, my position. I've already decided what's best for your kid. So now I'm gonna tell you what it is. And or a parent might come in and say that same thing. I've already decided that this is how it's going to be. But if we all came to the table with maybe that idea of, of being an active listener to um, come with more questions. You mentioned that too uh, then 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 you have an open mind when you come to the, the meeting and together we walk out with solutions as opposed to winning. You know and you
3: know what else is neat is if you really know your child the child and the parent already has this draft you know what makes them much better is just talk don't read from the draft i go to meetings and they're just reading so what happens then is all the other professionals when it's not their turn to quote unquote read they're on their computers and they're just typing away doing something else maybe updating that iep maybe answering emails so i say put the paper down we already have it we read it just talk tell me about how's it been working teaching math to my son, what's it like? Or how are the OT sessions going? And, you know, so it really makes, that even helps with making it more conversation, right? Then I'm not reading something. And I know some newer staff feel like, but I don't want to miss anything. But that's the the beauty of giving that draft, so.
1: Mo, you mentioned uh, the student coming to his own IEP meeting, so what strategies do you have there to get students more included? Because sometimes they feel like an afterthought, oh, and we're including the student, as opposed to- Or they come into,
3: yes, or they come in to sign. I'm like, whoa, why are you having them sign? <laughs> well, because they're over the age of 14, I'm like, but they weren't here. Yeah. <laughs> you, what? Um, Yeah, so obviously each child's abilities vary, right? So I always say to create a support system using those supports that are outlined in the IEP for them to be included. So an example, I had a teacher make a PowerPoint and she put the titles on each PowerPoint of what kinds of things she wanted to know, things he liked. So she wrote, these are things I like, things I don't like, things I need help with, things I want to learn. And then he went through on the internet and picked pictures to him that fit those slides. And then he picked a song that went with it and he got to pick the transitions from slide to slide. So he's nonverbal and he came in and that's how he participated in his um, meeting, which he was so excited. It was great. He was rocking and rolling to his favorite song as he pressed enter and it gave all these great things that he picked pictures that he felt related to his desires, likes, wants, and needs, but other students with also different abilities. So I don't think many students really get taught about the IEP process. So I encourage teachers to actually have, if you're teaching a class of all children with disabilities, have a little IEP instruction. Say you guys all have a document. It's called an IEP. What does it stand for? Um, and really teach them About this document and teach them about all those important components. And then before their meeting, a month before, say, remember, we learned about the IEP. Let's talk about how all the sections and what you can input on that and help them in whatever way, if they can write, read, talk, you know, whatever way they can to participate. And then I also encourage practicing before going to the meeting because watching a student walk into a room with 20 people, even though they maybe wrote their own input and then they walk in and they're like, nothing. (laughs) Practice it um, almost like it's um, a speech giving class, you know, really practice because it's all, that's teaching self-advocacy, which we know is such an important skill for their lifelong learning, right? So I just think uh, finding their way of, their structure that they need, based on the supports that are identified in the IEP, for them to be able to actively participate and um, and just giving them the training and the confidence to participate. And it, it's great when it's done right with enough support and, and you see kids like so proud. And then parents, oh my goodness, they feel like I never thought they could participate in their own IEP. And then to have them see that moment is also pretty awesome
1: that is so awesome that advice that you're giving there is that who would think you know yes practice what it means to be in any sort of meeting you know then your own IEP meeting and then and then practice what that's going what you're going to say I, I mean I just love that do an actual lesson teach it you know yeah. uh, what a novel concept you know but I wonder how often that happens out there and you know, you're gonna have your IEP meeting later today and you just show up into this weird intimidating thing that you never get to do and you only do it yeah. once a, again once a year a year from now so yeah what a great idea that is that is fantastic Um, let me circle back to another thing that you said so again with this being a a podcast about AAC and you mentioned having someone with some expertise when you're considering assistive technology let's just dig into that for a little bit deeper So if you are talking about AAC, for instance, that person with the expertise might be the speech therapist, right? You're not saying it needs to be some sort of AT person that does something different. It could be the speech therapist. It could be the teacher who's like, yep, I am very familiar with AAC. I've worked with it for years now that sort of thing. Often the the people at the table could have the knowledge to some degree to to come up with at least some assistive technology. And even if they they don't, it might not be all of it. I mean, but everyone knows a little bit, right? Would you say? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I typically find that, well, unfortunately that they just check the box, but then I'll go, I'll put on my brakes and say, did we consider it? and let's do that out loud because a lot of the ieps throughout different states just have a box that you check so i say let's do that consideration out loud i want that discussion because what you the teacher knows as assistive technology might be different than like you said the speech or the ot so let's bring those all on the table and sometimes parents will come in with great like, well, at home, I use Google Keep, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, so um, so that's why that one should be more than a checkbox. It really should be a discussion.
1: Yeah, we advocate for having that conversation at the accommodations page. Yeah. So when you're talking about what the student needs, that goes as an accommodation. I mean, all of it is what the student needs, but specific to FAPE, you put that there, That could be a communication device, that could be graphic organizers, that could be visuals, it could be lots of things, but that's where you have that discussion. At least that's where we do it.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and I think the reminder is, and I never like the name assistive technology because people think you plug it in. Mm -hmm. So just the reminder that technology doesn't always mean there's a plug. So when I, like I was recently at a meeting and they said, no assistive tech and i said really because you just spent 15 minutes telling me about all the assistive tech you're using (laughs) they're like no he doesn't have a communication device i'm like "Ah!" (laughs) so yeah just kind of reminding everyone of the exhaustive list that could be assistive tech
1: yeah absolutely absolutely so let me ask you this mo this is kind of a question i like to ask uh, everybody is having worked with people with disabilities for, for many years and constantly learning new things What's driving your learning right now? What kind of, uh, what's interesting to you? What are are you fascinated about or what do you want to learn more about?
3: So I think this is more out of a necessity is trauma-informed care. It is coming up so much in many of the IEPs I'm going to that so many students nowadays have gone through trauma in their life and how it affects their ability to access academics or how it affects the teacher-student relationship. And I mean, I think I know a little bit, like I I know that, you know, validating feelings and validating their perception on what occurred, but there's so much more. So so I know that one additional thing I really want to dive into more is this trauma-informed care. And then I think a lot of people are going to relate to this. I need to find a way to turn off my brain, to turn off my brain (laughs) because all those hats I'm wearing, I'm always thinking and thinking and thinking. And um, so I'm going to look into some meditation. To kind of calm down sleep better I think then I'm more alert and more focused when I'm not asleep <laughs> so those are kind of my two areas where I'm thinking of like growing and, and learning in
1: that's such good advice be mindful mindfulness and taking care of yourself yeah. because then you can do a better job taking care of other people and helping other people I think that's yeah. such awesome <laughs> advice all of us could take that and do that because we <laughs> often give too much and not take care of ourselves and we don't yeah. do as good a job you're not know, gonna believe this but literally last Week I went to trauma awareness training. Um, yeah, one on one. Yes, yes. Yeah, one of my big takeaways from that was first of all, more people than we think have had traumatic experiences, and they can we all it's very personal. What they were Mm -hmm. saying, is training, you know, what our reactions to it. Yep. But then uh, what we do when we are interfacing with somebody that may have had some trauma is uh, sometimes as a care person, you think you might think well, let me dig into this trauma a little bit more. Tell me more about the traumatic experience because then the more I know, then I can help you. But that can often be like... The the trigger. Yes, the trigger. Yeah. Um, and being aware that I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm not a social worker who has, experience. I have one, two hour training, you know, <laughs> you know i mm-hmm. trauma awareness. I want to empathize. I want to help, but it can often coming from this right space. Uh, yeah. of wanting to help people can often be like, I need to know when to do the handoff to somebody that is trained on, on trauma. Yeah. These are red flags. I'm, I'm being aware that you, you are talking about a traumatic experience. Let's go talk to a counselor.
3: <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Uh, yeah, and and especially in this particular podcast, since we are speaking about people who use AAC, those uh, ways that they might manifest themselves. Uh, some people could talk about their trauma. The people that who use AAC might need some sort of alternate modality to talk about their yeah, trauma or right. to 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 overcome it um, or to deal. And so, just recognize that it might be the, the behavior that you're seeing could be stemming from some sort of traumatic or stressful experience not necessarily and what a great quote that came out of it was there's no such thing as maladaptive behaviors everything is just an adaptive behavior to our situations like yeah mm-hmm. right these kids aren't yeah. acting out for no reason there's right. some reason that their the behaviors are the way they are so uh, we could talk about this. It's going could be a whole another podcast. I know, now.
3: right? <laughs>
1: well, let, let me ask, let me end with this question to say, how do people reach out to you? If they want to hire Mo Booty or they want to learn more, or they want to, to, to learn about you, what do they do?
3: Oh, um, so um, they can email me at mobooty at hotmail.com, which is spelled M O B U T I at hotmail.com, or they can check out my website, with which is www dot those are probably the two best ways fantastic
1: mo well thank you very much for coming on the podcast and we'll talk to you later
3: awesome thank you thank you everyone
2: you're listening to the exceptional podcast network